Hey, it's Annie here. We're working hard on some fresh new ag stories for the podcast. And so while some of you are waiting for your crops to grow over the cooler months, we've got some best of Beyond the Farmgate episodes to keep you entertained. This is one of them. Enjoy. This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, people who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and those who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Today we're chatting with Catherine Felicia, a third generation horticulture farmer and the managing director of both Felicia Farms and Felicia Education Group, or VEG. Based in Werribee, South Victoria, Felicia Farms grows, packs and distributes a premium range of vegetables, while VEG provides training and education services to build the capability of people within the industry. In this episode, you'll hear how Catherine came to be running Felicia Farms, how the business has evolved since she took over and why she's passionate about supporting and educating others to build long-term careers in horticulture. Now, you might hear a familiar voice on the podcast today. I'm again joined by my colleague, James Usel. Welcome back, James. It's great to be back, Annie. Let's jump in. Thanks for joining us today, Catherine. I know we've been wanting to get you on for a little while, so it's great to finally have you here. Thanks for having me, Annie and James. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you, so it'll be good. Catherine, can you tell us a bit about your connection to agriculture? Well, it's a generational connection. So my grandfather came from Albania in the 1930s with his two brothers and they started farming out of the Werribee South area. They initially started doing dairy farming and then the war broke out and the Pakapunyal army base needed vegetables. So this was around the 1940s. So they all started to do horticulture farming. So that was this whole area. They all kind of flipped from lamb to dairy into vegetable growing and that's really how our family got into it and then my dad was born with a few other family members and they all worked on the farm together the cousins my dad and his brothers they grew up working on the farm they created a business called Valencia Brothers which was in the wholesale market so they all worked together for a little while and then as people do they just wanted to go their own separate ways So my dad created a business, which was then Valley Valencia Fresh Produce, which was mainly a wholesale business, but it did focus on packing and growing a little bit. I've worked in that business since I was 19. I'm now 37. And then I took over the business about five years ago. So that's my connection to horticulture. It's been a long one, about 100 years. Can you tell us what it was like growing up in the family business? Yeah. So I started as a teenager at 19. There wasn't really any aspirations. I just came and started working as a job, really, because I went to uni. I wasn't really, I picked some subjects that I weren't, I just picked. So I wasn't really tied to anything. And then I started working in the business and we got an Aldi contract, which was really small then. So I started just doing that pretty much myself, packing the order, driving it in the ute up to the depot. And then I would finish early in the day. And then that grew and grew and grew. And I just kept working in the business. Then my dad split with his business partner, which meant I needed to go to the wholesale market, which was a night job, which is a really hard job. It's like 24-7 really, because you're either selling or you're organizing the stock during the day. And it's a pretty antisocial job also, because I guess even in the industry, then myself, there wasn't a lot of young women. 
And because I was also the boss's daughter, I guess there wasn't really peers within the business. So it was already a quite an isolated role as it was, but then the market isolated me from the world as well when most people were awake and then having to go to bed early, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a really hard industry. It's constant uh, bargaining and it is, it's quite ruthless. So I just had enough of that. And I just didn't feel like this was where I wanted to be. So I went to uni while I was still working the nights with dad. And then going to uni kind of gave me a new lease on life, a new way to look at my current position, a new way to look at the industry and all the opportunities that were there for myself, but as a whole. So then fate would have it, dad wanted to kind of retire. And then with my new lease on life, I took the business over. So I bought that off him. It's gone through eventually about, yeah, four years ago now. So have a look back. It's been good. Yeah, great. And whilst we're talking about the farm, can you tell us a bit about what you grow and whereabouts you're based? Yeah, so our main packing facility is out here in Werribee South. So Werribee South is a really intense farming area, 3,000 acres, and we produce 80% of all of Victoria's cauliflowers, 55% of all of Victoria's broccoli, 33% of all of Victoria's lettuce. So it's quite an intensely farmed and it has been for a long time. So they're our main three lines, two out here. We do celery. And then in Calderbean, we have like some shed growing facilities and we do kale and spring onions out there. And then we have lots of other grower relationships throughout the country, which is from a risk mitigation point of view, the need for that. Also, it's great to have other people doing some of the work for you. And we supply the supermarkets. So that's really important to make sure that we have got a constant stable supply. So that's pretty much the model there. You spoke before about you bought the business from your father. Did you have any challenges with that whole succession? You know, I know that it can be sort of quite an interesting process at the best of times. There wasn't any challenges because it wasn't a planned succession, which I know sounds like jarring, but there was only two people that had to work it out. So dad who owned the business, my parents are separated. And so stuff had happened already there. And my sister wasn't in the business. So it was between two people, which made it obviously a lot easier. Much of the discuss of everyone else once it got done, but yeah, <laughs> it was done then. So no, so no one could do anything, but that's what made it pretty easy. And dad wanted to move on. There wasn't a lot of options either. You know, our businesses, particularly, I'm trying to change that a little bit now, and I think a lot of businesses are, but our businesses are very much about the person because unless you've got a trademark product or something unique, what are you really selling? You're only selling relationships. And unless there's contracts with those relationships, which our industry really isn't around, you're not selling anything other than goodwill. So you can have a very successful business on paper or unsuccessful business. It doesn't really matter. People have to then trust that if they were to buy that business, that all of those suppliers and customers would stay based on nothing other than relationships, which is now disintegrated in the sale. So they're hard businesses to sell really to outside. So I guess it was just that. It was timing. I guess if you've worked in something the whole time too, if this he thought I was capable of it and that we would do the right thing. So it was, I guess it was the easiest sale because he gets to kind of have the pride of that now still going on. He gets to claim that, you know, he taught me everything I know. So that in itself is priceless. You can't put a price on bragging rights. <laughs> that would be the most important part to my father now, so I'd say. The sale, now he just gets to say, oh, I taught her everything she knows. From when your father was running the business to you running it now, what's been the biggest change? I think in the industry, and this is not just horticulture, it's in the world, customers are intolerant. So relationship, I think, is becoming less and less. And people are just so outcome focused. So even if people like you, 
we're all under so much pressure that that relationship means a lot less now. And everyone's performing at a high rate. Your relationship now or the thing that people like you doesn't lift you up. It'll keep you there and people will still keep working with you because of that. But if you're not hitting your KPIs or your outcomes for a customer, regardless of how much they like you, it doesn't matter. Relationship does matter. It holds it on, but it won't keep you in the game if you're not doing the other things. And I think that's different to what it would be. In the past, even myself, I'd be like, oh, no, come on. He's looked after us a lot of times. Let's keep taking his stock, da, 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 da. But now because there's so much pressure, I'll say to the team, we can't do that. We can't take the top. So the relationship is just different now because there's so much pressure on outcomes. I think that's industry. I think that's as a broader customer. You know, we're used to getting a top that we ordered three days. If it's there on the fourth day, we're writing aggressive emails about why our top from bloody Brazil is in here. That's just us as a society. We're very non-tolerant. Inside our businesses, we're less hierarchical. I want to go back a couple of steps and just picking up on something you said around your dad says, I taught her everything she knows. What is the biggest lesson that you've taken from your dad? The best character I've acquired from my father is grit and just keep going. I've learned probably a lot of lessons from my dad's mistakes and being able to have the privilege of not being a part of them and not having to wear the risk of those things and things like that. So there's a lot of plans and financial decisions and P&Ls and things like that that I do very differently. But it was a very different time then to the way they ran business. And in fairness to the other gift that the Valetian name has given me is the ability to network. I've always been treated very nicely, deservedly or not. I've always been supported at things and stuff like that. So there's been some benefits. And now you're surrounded by your own team. What do you hope to pass on to them in turn? Opportunity to give them the capacity to reach their full potential. Particularly, we've got quite a migrant workforce. So what I would love to be, I guess, my legacy, even though that sounds so wanky, (laughs) my legacy to be would be that they were able to get everything that they kind of would have expected when they were probably young people or kids in their country or, you know, their aspirations like we all had to be able to fully fulfil them over here because they've been given that opportunity and the walls have been pushed down for them so that they haven't been held back by any way because of their migrant story. And that's probably a really good segue into what I wanted to talk about next. And it's around that opportunity theme, I suppose. Tell us about Valicia Education and how that all came about. It really is a great segue because I think it's like the baby I was talking about. We've got three businesses here and it's like Felicia Farms is a successful one, but it's hard and it's older now and it's just like, oh, you know, you just stick but have problems, but it's really the most successful one and it works the best. We've got a legal one and whatever, and that's like the middle child. It gets neglected a bit because it's a service business and it's a bit easy run. And then veg education is like a cute baby with all the potential that we love so much. <laughs> But it really hasn't done that much yet, but, you know, like, and all the others are like, we've all done this, like, you know, but we share it with all this attention. So it is my little baby, so I am quite enamoured with it. What I love about it is I think it's the opportunity for once, and it's been a hole in horticulture, and this is what I really hope the industry get behind it, is to present horticulture differently to the outside world. You can't follow in footsteps you don't know exist. You can't aspire to be like people that you don't see and I think that's what veg will primarily be about of course there will be the real grit 
and the ability of the education and the courses, but what it will do also if the track is right and what my vision for it is right is to create a more authentic but exciting view of the people in horticulture, the opportunities in horticulture, the careers in horticulture, instead of what probably is the more common view on agriculture in general. So it's not a marketing tool, but I think that's where it may potentially have its greatest benefit for industry over on top of the courses. I understand that there was a bit of a catalyst that happened for you to go and create veg. Yep. And it was a very simple, unglamorous catalyst. <laughs> I like that profound spiel that I've just given there. It was just nitty gritty. I took over the business. There was some inherent issues that everyone's got in their businesses, some safety issues, some things that you know you need to address, you don't really know how to address. So we had a few different things. The shed was getting a bit old, a bit run down. There was a few issues and there wasn't the cash flow there. There wasn't the money. I've obviously just taken over a business, da 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 But I knew there was definitely an issue with traffic management and in my head that issue just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and like a true leader, I just ignored it and like the fearless leader I am. And what happened is we had a tiny other incident that was unrelated to traffic management and I had Neil Salvador, who's now my business partner with Edge Education, who's an employment and safety lawyer who I was recommended to by a few people to come out and help me with this incident. And we started talking about all the, you know, all the different things and I started talking about, you know, the issues and fears and blah, 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 blah. And he said, oh, why don't we get WorkSafe out to come and help us through this traffic management issue? And I thought he was crazy, like, invite WorkSafe in, you lock the gates and you hide. And the call goes around that WorkSafe has driven into wherever he's south. Like, what are you talking about? We're going to let him in. Anyway, he said, no, 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 let him in. So we ran WorkSafe, they came out and... Les Cameron, who works WorkSafe, who's a bit of a local legend down here, he comes in and we address the issue of someone hurt their finger and then I talk to him about the traffic management and he's like helping me with it and then in my head I'm like, oh, I'm not really open to what he's going to help me with because I thought I can't afford it. He's going to tell me something, you know, ridiculous. And he goes and gets some witch's hats out of the cupboard and he puts them around the shed and he goes, oh, you just have to put one here and one here and one here and then that's pretty good. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's pretty good now. And then I was like, people just don't know this. People just don't have solutions for things. People are just so scared. We're not empowered. People, I wasn't a bad person. I, thankfully, nothing happened. But if something had happened, it wasn't because I didn't care about my workers or I didn't think. I didn't have solutions readily available. I didn't have support. So that's how Veg Education came about. We were going to do it really simple. Me and Neil were just going to do like go around and do talks. And then COVID hit and then we thought, oh, Let's not make it simple. Let's make it really complicated and let's become an RTO. So now we're an RTO and now we focus on safety courses and we do primary school courses and high school courses and we do people, middle management and leadership courses, which we run here as well, but also courses that are able to upskill people who have got skills from other industries to be able to understand the nature of horticulture. So it's like a kind of like a bridging course. I think that will be probably something we'll look into. And then obviously just using veg again as a way to talk to consumers directly. So through the school courses is a way to talk to consumers directly about horticulture and fresh produce. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone. You start to indoctrinate people too early on to start thinking about it. So a bit cult-like. 
that's really the excitement. And then there's overseas. You know, obviously we've got some big businesses now reaching overseas that want to grow into the Asian countries. So then you've got to have training over there. We've also got a worker shortage. So bringing people over and training them and not just for the jobs on farm, which is really a huge issue. And that can't be solved through education per se. One of the biggest problems is we don't have proper middle managers that look after these teams that come over, that retain people, that then encourage people to come over more and more and more. Because why do people stay in good jobs? You know, if everything's equal, the money's the same, the roles are the same, you stay because you believe in the person's vision or your manager looks after you, whatever. Those things are very important for retention of jobs and also for people to enjoy their jobs. So that is a real key that the industry needs to look at. Because once you start creating those cultures where people come, they might come as a backpacker for a couple of weeks, but then they see all the opportunities and have this fantastic leader on top of them and they say, oh, this is a career for me. So that's kind of, I guess, where we see is the real need, that middle management. And like I said, people can't walk paths they haven't seen. So it's about showing those paths. And when we talk about ingest, indoctrinating the next generation to want to work in horticulture, what would you say to someone at school or in one of these school groups? What's your sales pitch to them to come and join the industry? COVID's shown it's the most resilient. So everything really can be closed down except for food production. And when we're talking about food production, it's not a processed food. It's a real food that is a necessity to survive. So you've got job security. It's growing. There's conversations now that how many people won't have food in years to come, which is horrific and which is obviously poor management, not the lack of ability to grow food. But the fact that that is the growth, that's going to be where all the focus is on everything else. The other opportunity is it's a bit of an untapped market. It's a bit of a wild west. There's so much opportunity here, but there's not a lot of highly skilled people. So there's this real gap, and I always stir up the high school students about if all the girls want to make that extra 20 cents in the dollar, they should come and work in horticulture because we'll pay very well for new eyes, for new things like that. So there is so much opportunity, and particularly because of our mindsets are a bit entrepreneurial, they are a bit startup here because that's really what we were. It's not as glamorous as having a tech business in Silicon Valley, having a couple of acres in wherever south, but the premise is very much similar. You buy something, you don't know the outcomes, you take a risk, you build on it, and then you grow it. So that is a startup or an entrepreneur by anyone's standard. So that mindset also is means that when people come in here with not necessarily skills for this industry, what we do is we give people lots of chances to build those skills and to drive. And there is no ceiling if you've got a bit of creative thinking. And I think that's what we lack in this industry, creative thinking. And that's what I've kind of seen. An education business doesn't seem to make any sense on a horticulture business. But now that we've painted the picture of it, it makes very good sense. And that has opened up a whole new level of opportunities for my career and my team's career. It's an endless opportunity, a well of opportunity here in horticulture. So come and join us. I love that for anyone that's listening. I think that's a great sales pitch on why they should join horticulture. You recently were accredited as an RTO, which you just mentioned. What does that mean for what's next on the horizon for VEG? Well, that means that we can obviously do accredited training. We will keep applying to scope. We're working with industry now to work out what is really needed. So what we then can apply to scope is diplomas, advanced diplomas. So I do some work with Melbourne Uni and we do work with RMIT 
So it will be also about trying to create pathways for people from certificate ones right up to then people who choose to go to university and all the different roles and the different tiers in between. And I think what's lacking is there's some horticulture courses out there, but they're created by taste, not by industry. And we, I guess, the difference is where it's by us and it's for us. So it's like industry for industry. So I think that will be the difference. And going back to what you were talking about earlier around bringing a more creative and entrepreneurial mindset to horticulture, who's been the biggest influences on you in bringing that mindset to Valicia? I actually think that mindset exists, but what it is, it isn't seen as that mindset. I think all those skills are here. We just don't sell them like the other industries do. I think people are highly entrepreneurial in this industry. Like look at Perfection, for example. They've gone overseas and brought trademark seeds on there, taking punts that this will A, grow in these areas, B, then be taken up by the market, C, how do we get any sort of efficiencies and make this profitable? It exists, but I just don't think we frame it like that. Like everything, it's the way you frame it, it's the way you glamorise it. I'm curious as to how, obviously, veg, as you said, is your baby. How do you balance your work with veg and your work on Volusia Farms? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I have a leadership group that are constantly telling me off about not being present enough anymore. So I don't balance it at all. And then I get resentful. Oh, why do I have to talk about the real work? I want to talk about the baby. (laughs) Lucky I've got a group of people around me who keep me on track. Absolutely. I do know that you have been awarded a Nuffield Scholarship, but that COVID again has gotten in the way of you being able to travel and go off and do some work in that space. What do you have planned? I'm going to New York next month. I've bitten the bullet. I've decided enough's enough. Uh, No, I was really inspired to do that because I've just joined an advisory council of thankful for farmers and they've got a strong connection with New York. And Kim, who's the founder of that, she was talking about that the other day and then I thought, why not go to the Big Apple and go see some of the biggest food distributions? And now on greater research, there's a lot of farms up in New York. So do your research. It's quite fascinating. So... As much as I thought I was going to be bludging, now it doesn't look like it at all. (laughs) Kill two birds with one stone. We'll have to have you back on to uh, hear all about your trip. But before we wrap up today, we just have a final question, which we ask all our guests on Beyond the Farm Gate. And that is when you're out on the farm or when you're out and about looking after safety matters, what work boots do you wear? Oh, I don't even have steel cap ones. No. I wear (laughs) the... Some boot things, these bobby boots or something, they're very comfy. <laughs> Let's hope you make from work safe <laughs> not listening. I know. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? No, sometimes you just need the catalyst for change. <laughs> yeah, and now I'll change my ways. Get me back off from after New York and I'll tell you what boots. I'll buy a new pair of safety boots over in New York. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to chat, Catherine. Not a problem. Thanks for your time and thanks for leading my catalyst to change of my footwear. So that's been good. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. 
You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert, and I'll chat to you next time. Thank you.